ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओके सो वी आर टू हैव वन वर्स टू कवर इन द ग्लोरीज ऑफ लॉर्ड अनंता एंड देन वी आर गोइंग टू हेल्प सॉर्ट ऑफ स्पीक गोइंग टू स्टडी द हेलिश प्लैनेट्स व्हिच आर significant especially i mean for many reasons but especially because it 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 kind of cues up you know that that term it it's kind of a setup for uh uh maharaj prikshit's question and the story of ajam the the pastime of ajamil in the beginning of the sixth canto because he asked well how can someone be saved from the, the, these hellish existence and then he says well i'm going to tell you a story about that Right. So you will pass them about that. Okay. So we're on uh the towards the end of this chapter text 14. My dear king, as I heard it from my spiritual master, I have fully described to you the creation of this material world according to the fruit of activities and desires of the conditioned soul. So it's like a summary of this and and previous chapters. These conditioned souls were full of material desires achieve various situations in different planetary systems and in this way they live within this material creation it's also a setup for the next chapter isn't it in some ways because he says they they achieve various situations and he's going to describe another one of those situations we've heard the subterranean heavenly planets we've heard the heavenly planets we've heard different parts of the this uh, universe and we're going to hear about the hellish planets in the next chapter So Shri Prabhupada's purport. We'll read the whole thing. In this regard, Shri Lavaktivino Thakur sings, "Anadi karma phale, padi bhavar navajale, tari bhare bhare na deki upaya." My Lord, I do not know when I commenced my material life, but I can certainly experience that I have fallen into the deep ocean of nescience. Now I can also see that there is no other way to get out of it. than to take shelter of your lotus feet. Similarly, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu offers the following prayer: Ainanda tanuja kinkara patitamam bishame bhavamudho kripaya tava pada pankaja stita juli sabrisham vichintaya. My dear Lord son of Naharaj Nanda Maharaj, I am your eternal servant. And then this is the key, this is the this somehow or other I have fallen into this ocean of nescience. That's kind of the theme of this purport kindly therefore save me from this horrible condition of materialistic life so prabhupad often uh quoted this uh passage by bhakti vinod takur <laughs> in the 6th canto he translates it as my dear lord i cannot remember when i somehow or other fell into the, this ocean of nescience and now i <clears throat> can find no way to rescue myself wish and then prabhupad writes we should remember that everyone is responsible for his own life if an individual becomes a pure devotee of krishna he is then delivered from the ocean of nescience and in uh another book prabhupad writes uh he quotes this <coughs> we should remember that and then he said well it's actually the uh, whoops it's the same quote he's quoting the sixth canto sorry about that but then from the fourth canto 29th uh chapter uh prophet says that under these circumstances 
it is to be supposed that thinking, feeling, and willing, we are by thinking, feeling, and willing, we are creating a series of future material bodies. In the words of Bhakti Vinod Thakur, Anadi Karma Pale, Padi Bhavarnava Jale. The living entity falls into the ocean of karma bandhana. What does karma bandhana mean? Bondage because of my past activities. Yeah, thank you. Bondage because of my past, yes. As a result of past material activities. Instead of plunging oneself into the ocean of material activities, one should accept material activity only to maintain body and soul together. The rest of one's time should be devoted to engaging in the transcendental loving service of the Lord. In this way, one can attain relief from the reactions of material activities. In other places, Prabhupada would say to me, like, you know, don't meditate so much on how you got here. Just, you know, get out, right? But um, we've gotten here, we know, because of our activities in, in this and previous lives. And that is based on, um, on our desires. We perform certain activities because of our desires. So in that one last thing that we just read, um, Prabhupada is picking up on the activities, right? That if we just do our material activities to, you know, do the needful, maintaining body and soul together, or as we said <coughs> in a previous class, um, the, there's the conditional and, and constitutional swadharma. <coughs> so we do the conditional swadharma as need be. And then he talks about time and use the rest of our time engaging in loving service of the Lord. Now, one could say that, well, that's just very external. You know, what about the heart? What about, you know, but the, how we spend our time is an external manifestation of where our heart is at. Isn't, it? Isn't doesn't that make sense? Right? You know, I, you know, we say to someone, I love you, I love you, and I, don't do anything for you. I don't spend any time with you. I get distracted by 500 other things. So that, that, that statement that I love you, oh, my heart, I write poetry about you or whatever, um, it kind of rings a little shallow, uh, empty, right? Hollow. Because how we spend our time is, at least to some extent, to a large extent, an indication of where our desires are at. So if we want to know where our desires are at, look at how we spend our time. That's one way to, uh, to do it. And here Srila Prabhupada says, the rest of one's time should be devoted to engaging in the transcendental loving service of the Lord. Some thoughts, questions about I don't know, how we spend our time or how we got into this mess? Uh, I like to Prabhu. Uh, yeah. Regarding the desires, um, in one of the Japa workshops I heard that when we are chanting the Hare Krishna Mahamantra, wherever thoughts go to, that's where we are we are attracted to or what we are spending most of our time in. Good point. Thank you for that. Yes. Yeah, so we can so your point is we can learn a lot about ourselves by looking at the wandering mind during Japa. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Thank you for that. Other thoughts? Yeah, I have one. Yes, Andy. The only thing left out of that part you just discussed is the interpersonal misery, right? Interpersonal misery? Misery. You know, like if I'm a four-year-old in a war, uh, 
that's not something that's something that other people are inflicting on me in this current life so uh that's a big problem too as yeah. well as what i do in this current life i haven't done anything yet if i'm four years old right uh, so so how does that relate to interpersonal i'm not trying to see the connection it's interpersonal I mean wars are interpersonal misery <laughs> oh. yeah and it's interesting how uh children there's um i heard one story recently about uh children who were uh brought up in especially jewish children brought up in, born in budapest in the in the in the early 40s and this is from a doctor who was saying uh, some, a patient would call them and say my child is always crying and the, the doctor would say well you know we're hearing that from many parents of jewish children because they pick up on the anxiety of their parents and the uh yeah and matter of fact one child person who's not a child he's in the 70s now said his mother just handed him to a stranger on the street in 1944 just because um she was afraid that she'd be picked up by the nazis and taken to a labor camp or a concentration camp so yes uh and that child was known to always be crying at that time so they, we pick up on those things and also your point uh andy is that we say that there's there's three categories that we put a lot of miseries into right adiatmic adibotic and adidaivic adiatmic botic and daivic uh atmic is uh which one is the interpersonal one let me ask you that question adiatmic Yes, Adi, thank you, Sudhendi. Yes, Adiyatmik. So uh, it's sometimes called as miseries relating to the, pers- uh, to the body and mind, but it often means... Uh, wait, is that the one that's other living entities? Adi, uh, no, Adi, Adi is other living entities. Oh, so it's also other living entities also, isn't it, Sudhendi? If you consider humans living entities. Mm-hmm. Yes. And all three are original, right? Adi means original or beginning, right? Um... I'm not sure. If, uh, 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 it's actually A D. The the English A-D-I. is H I, not A D. Oh, oh, okay. okay. I think it might I-D. be a word. Yeah. Uh, if anyone knows Sanskrit, does anyone know what the uh, uh, preface "adi" means in this context? I'm not sure. We can try to find out. But yeah, they're all. They're all it's the category, Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Adi is like the various kinds of mysteries. And then the category comes of Bhautik, which is from other living entities. Adhyatmik is from one's own mind. And Daivik is from demigods or natural disturbances. Right, right. Thank you. Yeah, so we, maybe two categories fall into the uh, interpersonal. Yeah. Uh, and uh, David says, on a side note, what is the name of the film documentary where the Jewish child is... It's not a documentary. It's a story of um, this person. There you go. He uh, videos on um, YouTube things. He's a doctor, and his specialty is um, is addiction. And he talks about how um, addiction is often formulated in in childhood. Um, it's because addiction is a way of soothing pain and soothing fears so he so he, he talks about his own life and that that happened to him 
And the way he's, he, the, the addiction that he has is to his work, he says. That's a way of kind of feeling needed because he was not needed. He felt not needed when his mother handed him over all those. He obviously understands now that it was done for a particular reason. Okay. So anything else on this, on these points? Yes, Prabhu. <clears throat> yes, Mama Kapu. Also, the Upadis we have upon ourselves is a very great distraction. The designations? Yes, Prabhu. Like what? What do you mean by that? Like, I'm a parent, I'm an employee, or I am this and that, anything other than the servant of the servant of the hmm. Supreme Lord. Yeah. So, I, I'm not saying we don't need to, you know, we have to attend to those. But when those become, those designations become, you know, primary distraction, then we need to take a pause and invest in the sub first, you know, just yeah. reset and go back. And then from a higher test point of view, then we can deal with that more effectively. Yes, that's a very good point. By, by focusing on the constitutional yes. and then the conditional, I think we all have the experience, the conditional sometimes becomes a lot easier to deal with. When we've chanted good rounds, heard the Shastra, taking nice prasadam, it's easier to go to work and remain in good consciousness. Yes. So yeah, there's two things, is to focus on, on this on, uh, Surup Siddhi Bhakti, you know, the direct devotional activities, and then also to um, uh, dove, try to dovetail or find some Krishna Sambandha, some connection with our conditional activities and our spiritual goal. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for that. It's interesting you brought the point, Sambandha Prabhu. Like, um, otherwise, we separate ourselves into like material and uh, spiritual, which is not a nice thing, actually. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, the yeah, and the only, you know, every, there's a hundred million songs written about, thousands of songs written about this in, uh, in the material sense, but really... The only thing that's going to solve our problems about getting out of this world, our psychological problems, our, our, our addictions, our this and that, is love. Yes. It's the only thing that solves things, ultimately. Yes. Sir. And <clears throat> so we need to be feeling that love with Krishna. And if we're not, then we're going to be looking for, you know, as the song goes, looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> Andy probably knows that song, <laughs> but yeah, that's I don't know this. I I remember that just that one line of the song, but uh, it's a really good point. That's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Other thoughts? Uh, okay. Well, we are going to the last chapter of this canto. All right, Paul. And uh, then after that, one more canto, and at least everybody here will be getting a Bhakti Vai Baba certificate in the temple. Then you'll definitely go back to Gada just by having that certificate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, definitely get closer to Radha Madan Mohan. 
Yes, yes. Well, you can show it to Radha Madan Mohan and say, listen, you see? <laughs> All right. So, um, I'm, let's see, it's 40 verses. Uh, does anyone have a preference if we read all of the verses or do what we've been doing the last, you know, just, is that okay if we just continue reading the uh, verses um, that we're studying? And then we'll get, when we get back to the sixth canto, we'll be going through verse by verse like we've been doing. Is that okay with everyone? No? Andy, you're yes. like ambivalent? Sure, bro. Okay. I mean, it's your judgment is more important if you don't think it's worth covering. Oh, okay. well, let's, let's start and see how he goes. King Parikshit inquired from Sukadev Goswami. My dear sir, why are the living entities put into different material conditions? Kindly explain this to me. So, he, so he's heard about the universe. So why are people placed in different places? The great sage Sukadev Goswami said, My dear king, on this material, in this material world, there are three kinds of activities. Those in the mode of goodness, those in the mode of passion, and the mode of ignorance. Because all people are influenced by the three modes of material nature, the results of their activities are also divided into three. One who acts in the mode of goodness is religious and happy. One who acts in passion achieves mixed misery and happiness. And one who acts under the influence of ignorance is always unhappy and lives like an animal. Because of the varying degrees to which the living entities are influenced by the material modes, different modes of nature, their destinations are also of different varieties. And we know that this is not so simple because we studied in Bhagavad Gita that sometimes one mode is takes prevalence over another, sometimes one mode another. They're, generally, though, people have uh, some more influence of, uh, of certain modes, or at least a mixture of modes. Just as by executing various pious activities, one achieves different positions in heavenly life, by acting impiously, one achieves different positions in hellish life. Those who are activated by the mode of Ignorance engage in impious activities, and according to the extent of their ignorance, they are placed in different grades of hellish life. If one acts in the mode of ignorance because of madness, his resulting misery is the least severe. This comes up later in one of the purports we're studying. One who acts impiously but knows the distinction between pious and impious activities is placed in the hell of intermediate severity. And for one who acts impiously and ignorantly because of atheism, the resultant hellish life is the worst. Because of ignorance, every living entity has been carried by various desires into thousands of different hellish planets since time immemorial. I shall try to describe them as far as possible. So here, in these first three verses, we're hearing about you know the conditioned soul who gets sent to hell, and it's it's you know when it says here because of atheism, um, it's it's not just somebody saying, "Oh, I don't believe in God," right? You know, there. What it, you know? There's a whole implication to that. There's a whole kind of activities and mindset that one has. So it's not just somebody you know saying, "Yeah, I don't believe in God," you know, and and then generally they act like a pious person. So, you know, you know what I mean. So there, there's a there's a atheism adi, as we would say, atheism and all the things that come with it. King Parikshit inquired from Sukadev Goswami, "My dear Lord, are the hellish?" Regions outside the universe, within the covering of the universe, or in different planets, uh, places on on this planet. So we're going to hear these three verses about the uh, 
a little bit about the hellish planet. And it is interesting because I think we would all, we can all understand that there are uncertain levels, hellish parts of this planet. I can remember when I lived in Detroit, when we would drive uh, south on, uh, I think it's I-75, and you'd get past, and, and there's this one place where you kind of go up a hill, and then so at the top of the hill you look down, and you just, in those days at least, you just see car factories everywhere with smoke billowing out, billowing out, and my gosh, it just looked like something from a movie, a hellish, you know, a, a dystopian movie or something like that. Um, and similarly, I remember doing Semkirtan once in um, Gary, Indiana. And Gary, Indiana was the uh, headquarters for U.S. Steel at that time. I don't know if it still is. And, oh, God, it was just, it just seemed like something out of, out of a, again, a dystopian movie. You know, just, uh, just everything was gray and, and just smell and the air pollution and everything was just amazing. And then Henry also brings out the point that we can create hell in our own minds. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Very good point. Um, so let's continue. The great sage Sukadeva Swami answered, All the hellish planets are situated in the intermediate space between the three worlds and the Garbhodaka Ocean. They lie on the southern side of the universe beneath Bhumandala and slightly above the water of the Garbhodaka. Uh, ocean. Pitri Loka is also located in this region between the Garbhataka Ocean and the lower planetary systems. All the residents of Pitri Loka, headed by Agnishvata, med uh, meditate in great samadhi on the Supreme Personality of God and always wish their families well. And then the verse that we are going to study, uh, the kings of the Pitas, uh, the king of the Pitas is Yamaraj, the great, very powerful son of the sun god. He resides in Pitriloka with his personal assistance. And while abiding by the rules and regulations set down by the Supreme Lord, has his agents, the Yamadutas, bring all the sinful men to him immediately upon their death. After bringing them within his jurisdiction, by properly, uh, he properly judges them according to their specific sinful activities and sends them to one of the many hellish planets for suitable punishment. So the first thing Prabhupada says in the first uh, sentence is a real powerful. Yamaraj is not a fictitious or mythological character. <laughs> Just like right out of the, you know, first thing about mentioning about the hellish planets. And then later on he says, uh, he, meaning Yamaraj, brings them to the hellish planets and properly chastises them to bring them back to Krishna consciousness. But by the influence of Maya, however, the conditioned souls remain infatuated with the modes, mode of ignorance. Thus, in spite of repeated punishment by Yamaraj, they do not come to their senses, but continue to live in a material condition, committing sinful activities again and again. So, um, <coughs> a few things here. <coughs> There's a nice, nice description here of Yamaraj's intention, okay? That he wants to bring them back to Krishna consciousness. And then also our obstinance, where it says that we still want to, we're still infatuated in the mode of ignorance. So, you know, that's not that much different than Krishna creating this world and us misusing our independence. Isn't it? Krishna wants to bring us to, he gives us a place to carry out our material desires and at the same time give us a chance to go back to Godhead. 
So Yamaraj, in one sense, it's almost, it's almost like he's, you know, you know, just carrying, um, following Krishna's footsteps in that regard. He wants, the punishment is meant to, you know, hey, you know, reform us, but we remain in the mode of ignorance. And then I, uh, <clears throat> if you type in the word fictitious, let's see. Oh, I didn't spell it right. Hold on. Um, sorry. I'm, just, I'm on folio right now. Uh, database. So there's uh, 200 times Prabhupada uses it. So let's just look at a few of them. Uh, the truths described in the Vedic literatures are not theories of mundane imagination, nor are they fictitious, as the less intelligent class of men sometimes think. That's from the second canto. Uh, um, talking about Karna Mamuni, he gives evidence of those who are actually elevated in yoga, aspire in life after life to see this form as a personality of God. And he was not a fictitious yogi. From the third canto, again from the third canto, the impersonals take the activities mentioned in the Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, and other Vedic literatures as fictitious stories. And therefore, they interpret them most mischievously. They have no idea of the personality of Godhead. Uh, the so-called politicians and scholars think of Krishna as fictitious. Mm. Demons always think of God, of the God of the devotees as fictitious. They think there is no God and that the so-called religious feelings of devotion to God is but an opiate, a kind of illusion, like the illusions derived from LSD and opium. So, so we could go through the other 197 references. <laughs> but I, I think you get the idea that Srila Prabhupada um, had... Uh, very staunch faith in the Vedic <laughs> literature. And, but at the same time, he was no fool. He acknowledged um, that, that people think like that, and therefore he addressed it at least 200 times. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, um, and then one other thing that's brought up here is the, this distinction in the purport between the devotee and, and, you know, the person who can take the reform of Yamaraj properly and one who uh, does not. And um, Prabhupada, Prabhupada says, according to Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur, although a second-class devotee is eager to preach to the innocent conditioned souls, he should avoid the atheistic class of men so that he will not become disturbed or polluted by their association. So, in other words, you know, there, yeah, there's a lot of um, envious people in this world. So, some thoughts on uh, this important So, if we don't remember our past lives or what happened before we were born, how can we have been rectified by Yamaraj? That's a really good question, and I heard a really good answer of, of it, but I can't remember it. <laughs> Does anyone remember or anyone have an uh, explanation for that? I've heard um, Radhika Raman Prabhu discuss this, but I can't remember what he said. One, one explanation I have heard is that once the soul leaves the material body, it is taken by the Amadodas to the hellish planets where they are given 
subtle bodies to experience certain punishments and they will be non-stop. It's like not even a moment's respite for them to finally regret what they have done. And once that punishment is done, the soul is allowed to come out and take birth in another material body. Uh-huh. So no, it's all, that, yeah, sometimes I've heard it's, 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 uh, it's all with the subtle body. I've also heard that it can be very quick, the amount of time in these punishments. But of course, as we're going to be reading, very severe. Hare Krishna Prabhu, this is Jeevita Tudas. Yes, Jeevita Prabhu. So, there are multiple contexts based on the different contexts, but there is also one context where if a person has performed an activity that he has to get to that Pashri uh, Yoni, right, uh, animal form. Uh-huh. So, he has to be degraded to that level that he can come to that uh, animal propensity to be able to get that. So, again, he's put in those that situation where his surrounding is like that of the animal form that would happen. Now, this did not happen with Bhat Maharaj because he was meditating on deer and directly he got that deer, but he remembered his life, right? But what happens is by doing this arrangement, a person becomes accustomed. Another example that's given is when you are given, uh, you know, small, small shocks, then you become used to them. So similarly, a person degrades from his current consciousness to that lower consciousness and become accustomed. So he gets this body of an animal in his next life and he believes that this is how it's supposed to be. So he's influenced completely. Uh, Sometimes there is another shock scenario where somebody could be cursed, like Brahma cursed Indra to become a hog. Yeah. (laughs) We know that. So he didn't have to go through this process. It was just a shock and materiality immediately captured him. And made him realize that, and he felt like he's happy in that form with his uh, female hog wives and kids and the piglets and also. Yeah. So again, various explanations are given in various Puranas and Shastras. Thank you. Um, anyone else? It's a really good question, Henry, and I'll, uh, I'm going to look into it a little bit more for next class. Any other thoughts on this? Yes, Prabhuji. Um, I heard that the suffering that we face in this material world are specifically designed to curb the uh, the sinful inclination that we had. Um, so we can, just looking at our suffering this world, we can imagine what sinful uh, activities that we have done in the past. But I was also thinking that um, once, if a person suffers in the hellish planets for their sinful activities, um, then... I mean, do all the sinful activities disappear or like we continue because we get the material body and we do have suffering, right? So how is that determined that we do get suffering in the hellish planets, but we continue uh, the sufferings in the material world? I don't, is that a question? Yeah, that's a question. I'm not sure I understand the question. So like in the hellish planet, um, the soul is suffering, right? The punishment by your mind and body are suffering. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so do all the sinful reactions get eliminated with that suffering? Um, or because we, we do take another material body and we continue with our suffering, so I was wondering. Well, if, you, if we go back to our study of nectar of devotion, right, we hear about the four kinds of karma, aparabdha, kuta, bija, and parabdha, right? I don't know if you remember, if you took Bhakti Shastri, if you remember that. Um, so the upper is this huge accumulation from many, 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 many lifetimes. 
right? It's, um, and I don't recall ever, read, oh, I've never read anywhere that they, that all those just like get, you know, whitewashed. And after you, after, if you get severe suffering, you're free from all of those um, things because we still have um, mental, the Nakuta and Bija one is, uh, what is it, mental proclivities and another one is stronger desires and then Parabdha Karma is two things. It's our, it's our body that we have and uh, so, the, so the present manifestation of our karma in the form of this body and then the reactions to our the activities we perform now that create more of the karma. So it's, it's a very, as Krishna says in the Gita, it's very intricate. The laws of karma are, are very intricate. So I don't think you just get like, uh, like it's, it's not, I don't think it's like um, re, what do they call it? Not rebooting, but what happens when you just erase a hard drive and start it all over again? Reconfiguring or whatever. Uh, or just taking a big magnet to a hard drive and, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think it's quite like that. Okay. Thank you, Prabhupada. Mm -hmm. Also, at the same time, uh, not all sinful reactions entitle a punishment in the hellish planets. Of course. The severe kinds of sinful actions get a reaction of getting a punishment in the hellish planet. But for other act, not, not so sinful actions that a living being has performed, those reactions have to be faced by that living being by taking another material body in the material world. So there are multiple aspects to that same thing. It's not, it's not punishment in the is uh, uh, just to wipe out my sense. It's just to give an experience to the living being or to understand what it had done and maybe try not to repeat the same thing again. Mm -hmm. And then, and it's, uh, it's complicated also because, um, you know, somebody does some bad things, they do some good things. We, we often have a lot of mixtures. What if a person, well, like, look at, yeah, look at um, Ajamil, right? So what's, what, you know, Prabhupada would say that if someone purchases a book, they, they, they start their Gatha Sukriti or if they hear the holy name or they take prashadam. You know, so someone does some, some uh, it's called bhakti unmut sukriti, the technical term. So then, you know, uh, how does that all play into it, right? And most of us are a mixed bag. We may, you know, even a person may, you know, whatever be, you know, uh, a meat eater. And then there's all the things about meat eating. But then they also, uh, you know, um, do some real pious things and some real nice things for others and maybe even some devotional things or they go to church. You know, I, I'm glad I'm not Yamaraj <laughs> uh, to figure this all out because a lot of us are mixed bags. Hare Krishna Prabhu, this is Hare Krishna Prabhu. again. Uh, so pious activities and impious activities, they're separate accounts. We talked about the three kind of karmas in Bhagavad Gita. Yep. Karma, Vikarma uh -huh. and Karma. Yep. So karma, the bias activities enable us to go to higher planetary systems where we get to enjoy, have some duration. And when those reactions, the account is empty, we come back to the earthly planets, Lord Krishna explains. 
Vikarma is when we have to face the sinful reactions. Many of them, if they're not finished in this life, they continue in the next life. But there are some of them that cannot be experienced in a life. For example, illicit sex, right? So Yamraj in one of the uh, punishment is where the person who has had illicit sex, they have to embrace, they're given a body, a gross body for the punishment. And they have to embrace a burning uh, like metal statue. So that's that propensity goes away. So there are different kind of hells, 8.4 million kind of hells, actually. Shastas explained. So based on the different things that reaction could not be done in the material universe for those situations, human beings and only human beings are the ones who have to go through hellish conditions and heavenly conditions because animals, they just go through their regular, you know, like the cycle as they yeah go from one uh, bird to another to progress on. But I'm not sure you can separate the accounts fully because we study, for example, in Nectar Devotion about prayaschitta, which in other words, you do activities that negate bad activities. It's right. Specific. So you're making an austerity or making some kind of sacrifice or doing some kind of charity. So it's one of those categories that you are engaging in, which is in a way a reaction. So you're nullifying it by that activity. Yeah. Okay. Good. It's complicated stuff. Like I said, Mahamatra, you want to say something? Yes, Prabhu. Like, same, like capital punishment. We heard uh, then Yamarag doesn't have to punish him. Uh-huh. And, the, okay. and the king punishes. But right. my, my question is also like Sugandha Mataji's question. So once, either this side or that side, like whether when the punya is done and uh, the punishment for all the papa is done, uh, but uh, does it make the person inclined towards Krishna consciousness or then again he goes with the flow of this material world because that's where Chine Punya Marti Lokam Vishanti so again the same activities and then karma like so after the punishment what will be the status of the jiva proper like inclination of the jiva I can't remember I'm sure it's happened to me many times. Rade, rade, rade. But, uh, um, let's try to think of Shastric references for this. Hmm. I mean, because, you, know, yeah, you know, the original question that Henry brought up is, is right from the Bhagavad Gita, right? That many, many births, both you and I have obtained. I can remember all of them, Krishna says, but Arjuna, you can't. Right? So that was, and that was Henry's point that, um, and then, and then Ajamil, okay, so we know Ajamil's example that we're going to hear about in great detail was that he did all kinds of stuff, right? All yeah. kinds of stuff. And, uh, and then, and then he got saved by, by the holy name. Then we also have Jagai and Madai. And yeah. theirs is interesting because they did all kinds of stuff, but what was the one thing they didn't do? Vaishnava Prabhu. Right. So that's, that's looking at it from a whole nother angle, right? Uh, they had committed every sin. You, know, you could just, you name it, they did it. But they didn't commit Vaishnava Parad. Yeah. And then we also know, because you brought up Krishna Consciousness Mahamantra Prabhu, that ultimately one has to come in contact with Bhakti yeah. somehow or other to start that. Whether, you know, it's usually through a devotee or it could be, like we said, Prashadam, one of Srila Prabhupada's books, uh, 
uh, hearing uh, the holy name. Um, and of course, in other traditions, we're going to hear about other traditions uh, in one of the purports today, if we get around to it. Um, so I'm just trying to, you know, if anyone can help me, I'm trying to think of other references in our, you know, the Shastras that we focus on uh, about this. So Chichiketu's son, he remembered his past births, right? Yeah. That was different. He said, well, which father are you? <laughs> which yeah. mother are you? Right? <clears throat> That's a, it's a slightly different thing, but it does refer to previous lives. Uh, and then we know from Bharat Maharaj, from this canto, that he was given the special benediction, as Jiva Tathrabhu was pointing out, that he could remember his, his past lives. Um, and then we also know yam yam vapi smaram bhavam, that whatever we meditate on in this life. So, gosh, there's a lot, there's a lot of different uh, angles on this. And since it's such an important topic, I'm going to try to study it more this week and get back to you all on it, okay? Yeah. So the, Maybe all, you can also, I'm going to give you all that homework also. Listen to the lecture, you know, you know uh, contact your guru, whatever it takes. You know, get some information. Let's all bring it back next week and uh, have a more in-depth discussion on this. And Subhanda quotes a verse from the 6th. Yes, uh, only a rare person who has adopted complete unalloyed devotional service can uproot the weeds of sinful actions without possibility of them being revived. So this, so this is another different angle, Suganda. This is about the um, the uprooting. Yeah, but it's not just what we've been talking a lot about so far has been nullifying and, and balancing, and where do you go if you do this and all that stuff. But this verse is different. This verse is talking about actually getting rid of the desire. And yeah. that means filling the, filling the heart with bhakti. Right. Prabhu, I have a quick question. Um, have, we, have we read the, any section of purport from verse 6? I mean, I was a bit away, so I'm asking because there is some useful information here. Verse 6 is what we just studied, right? Okay, so it's mentioned there that um, one should, uh, you know, that there's a talk of action, forbidden inaction, like Jiva Prabhu said, and then it says that one must act accordingly to the law of Supreme Personality of Godhead. The conditioned souls who have come to material world for sense gratification are allowed to enjoy their senses under regulative principles. If they violate these regulations, they are judged and punished by Yamraj. He brings them to hellish planets and properly chastises them to bring them back to Krishna consciousness. So, uh, you know, Mahamantra Prabhu asked that what is their inclination after the punishment and all. So basically, maybe some of them do come back then by the influence of maya however the conditioned soul remains infatuated with the mood of ignorance thus in spite of repeated punishment by yamraj they do not come to the senses but continue to live with material condition committing sinful activities again and again which again is saying similar what you are just explaining that due to material desires you know the propensity keeps coming back till till they are totally purified of that Yes. Yeah. Prabhu, the reason I asked that question is, it's very interesting about the heart of Amaraj. Like his punishment is to restore Krishna consciousness to the fallen soul. Right. So, like it's slightly different from uh, atonement. So, my question is like once he, because his mood is, to restore the soul's Krishna consciousness, 
after the punishment and though uh, Vyamraj himself is devotee like that's where you know so at least the fallen souls want to become devotees is it true or not well you know it's it's an interesting point because it's almost like uh he wants everyone to come to krishna consciousness uh and at the same time he uh he has his duty to perform it's almost like <laughs> i'm trying to think right. of any analogous to us you know we go to work and we can't just you know say okay before we start work for the day let's all have a kirtan but <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what we'd like to do, but we do our yeah. duty. So he does have his job to do, even if it's a thankless task. Yeah. Now, does it, doesn't he also incarnate in Krishna's pastimes? Yes. Yeah. As who? Vidur. Vidura. Yes, Vidura. So, uh, um, yeah, and, and, and Prabhupada, I can't remember exactly the words, but in the first canto, Prabhupada mentions, maybe someone can find it, about why he wants to do that. He wants to, you know, um, yeah, I won't, I won't, yeah, I, I thought it was something like he wants to be, be more of a devotee or something like that, but someone, if they could find that, that would be great. I think it may be in the, maybe in the 13th chapter, or probably just before the 13th chapter. 13th chapter is when he rescues Dhritarashtra. Dhritarashtra, yeah. yeah. So it could be there. All right, let's go on. And I think because uh, that took a long time and that was a good conversation, we're going to continue it. Let's move ahead to verse 15. Um, wait, did we? One second. No, verse 10. Uh, verse 10, sorry. I think it's first. Where is my notes from verse 10? Okay, verse number 10. That, right, that was, the, that was the homework, wasn't it? A person who accepts his body as his self works very hard day and night for money to maintain his own body and the bodies of his wife and children. While working to maintain himself and his family, he may commit violence against other living entities. Such a person is forced to give up his body and his family at the time of death when he suffers reactions for his envy of other creatures by being thrown into the hell called Rorava. And Prabhupada writes, uh, there are two classes of men absorbed in the material conception of the concept of life. This we heard about in an early, earlier translation, right? Out of ignorance, a man in the first class thinks of his body to be a self, and therefore he is certainly like an animal, Saeva Gokara. The person in the second class, however, not only thinks his material body to be a self, but also commits all kinds of sinful activities to maintain his body. He cheats everyone to acquire money for his family, and, and his self, and he becomes envious of others without reason. Such a person is thrown into the hell known as Rorava. If one simply considers his body to be a self, as do the animals, he is not very sinful. However, if one needlessly commits sins to maintain his body, he is put into the hell known as Rorava. So I thought this was uh, significant because it is uh, showing that it's showing the very kind of subtle distinctions, right, between the, oh, I know that, you know, uh, yes, between the innocent and the envious, right? And uh, that, that quote I read earlier, uh, the, the according to Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, a second-class devotee preaches to the innocent and avoids the envious, right? Or in the Adi Lila Prabhupada says, he tries to increase his love of Godhead. This is a second-class devotee, Majjimali Kari. He tries to increase his love of Godhead, make friendship with devotees, preach Krishna consciousness among the innocent, 
and he avoids the jealous who are envious of the Krishna conscious movement. So just as a Madhyama Adhikari makes that distinction, it appears here that Yamaraj makes that distinction as well between somebody who's just, just like dumb. Yeah, I'm not dumb. That's not a nice thing to say. Uh, just ignorant of spiritual life, hasn't you know come in contact with the devotees, and and out of that ignorance thinks himself to be his himself or herself to be their body, and therefore just gets absorbed in family life, and that's different than the person who you know consciously uh, you know cheats and, and you know everything we just read in the purport and has this much more let's call it uh, demoniac mentality. So. I think that I found that very interesting, that distinction. And it's not totally dissimilar to what a Majjama Adhikari, a devotee um, in art that we're trying to aspire to, you know, should think about in terms of giving mercy to the innocent and avoiding the envious. So some thoughts on this point? So also, it come, you know, it, it shows that there's subtleties involved in this chapter and in Yamaraj's thinking. And, you know, there's a spectrum of, of different, you know, and so, it's, so, it, so it appears that one can see by the activities the place in the heart. Nothing? Okay. Then text 15. If a person deviates from the path of the Vedas in the absence of an emergency, the servants of Yamaraj put him into the hell called Asi Patravana, where they beat him with whips. When he runs hither and thither, fleeing from the extreme pain, on all sides he runs into palm trees with leaves like sharpened swords. Thus injured all over his body and fainting every step, he cries out, Oh, what shall I do now? How shall I be saved? This is how one suffers. Uh, who deviates from the accepted religious principles. And Prabhupada writes in the purport that unfortunately, especially in the age of Kali, everyone is an atheist. People do not believe in God, but to speak of following his words. So let's just look at that for a second. And we, this has been an ongoing, of course, uh, theme, because we're all studying Prabhupada's books, and we want to address things where someone might uh, have a doubt Right, so here, Albert says this very strong statement: everyone is an atheist. So we can look at that from just doing some research, and we see that approximately, depending on how we define the term, okay, but approximately seven percent of the world's population is are atheists. Okay, so that's you know, probably said everyone's an atheist. And you read this, you say, wait a second, what what does he mean? And by the way. Um, Less than 5%, this is scary, of the world's population is vegetarian. And, and, and in, and in uh, Bharat Bhumi in, in India right now, they say only 31% of people in India are vegetarians now. Now, I'm sure that's very different than in 1960 or something like that, right? It's been really cool. Well, I remember, I, you know, li I lived in India when um, McDonald's and Pizza Hut had just just arrived there and people just thought it was so cool. And I, what really disturbed me was that they opened up a McDonald's in Mathura in the Holy Dham on the highway to uh, Agra. <laughs> but um, 
So what, what do we mean by, you know, I was trying to understand this. Well, first of all, I think we can look at this in different ways, like Prabhupada meant. Uh, he's saying, especially in the age of Kali, he may be referring to Shastrik about how as, as Kali Yuga progresses, people become more and more atheistic. That might be it. Or, as we're going to read later in this purport, that uh, he makes the distinction between people who claim to be religious, but who do not strictly follow. So if you wanted to define the word atheist as someone who, do, who doesn't strictly follow any, any religious, whether it's the Vedas, as is mentioned here, or others, then that number does, of course, get much, much larger. Right, <laughs> and especially if, we're, if he's thinking that uh, one of the religious principles is is vegetarianism, thou shalt not kill. Then all of a sudden, the uh, the statement takes on a whole different point of view. So, yes, Prabhupada sometimes speaks strongly and will say, you know, everyone, you know, things. But I think uh, if we take a pause and think about it, we can find ways to understand what he meant by that, and not just say, wait a second, there's only 7% atheists. So let's continue. The word Nija Veda Pata, uh, pata uh, can also mean one's own set of religious principles. So here he's taking it not just from the Vedas. Well, no, one's own set, that means, I think he means um, speculation, let's see. Formerly, there was only one Veda Pata, or set of religious principles. Now there are many. It doesn't matter which set of religious principles one follows. The only injunction is that he must follow them strictly. An atheist or a nastika is one who does not believe in the Vedas, is not, does not believe in the Vedas. However, even if one takes up a different system of religion, according to this verse, he must follow the religious principles he has accepted. Whether one is a Hindu or a Mohammedan or a Christian, he should follow his own religious principles. However, if one concocts his own religious path within his mind, or if one follows no religious principles at all, he is punished in the hell known as Asi Patravana. In other words, a human being must follow some religious principles. So here Prabhupada is being very broad-minded and expanding, because this word says Nija Veda, right? The Vedas, and he's, he's saying that no, religious, this could be taken also as a set of religious principles. And then he mentions Hinduism, Islam, and Christianity, and that the things that they should follow strictly. Now, he doesn't, of course, in this purport, get into what following strictly means. Um, and it also means that we don't necessarily have to, like, change, uh, convert people, so to speak, but we encourage everyone in bhakti. He writes in the first canto, the principles of religion, namely austerity, kindliness, mercy, and truthfulness, as we have already discussed, may be followed by the follower of any faith. There is no need to turn from Hindu to Mohammedan or from Mohammedan to Christian or to some other faith and thus become a renegade and not follow the principles of religion. The Bhagavatam religion urges followers, uh, urges following the principles of religion. The principles of religion are not dogmas or regulated principles of a certain faith. And in another place, Prabhupada writes, that tendency to engage in loving service is your essential characteristic, your dharma. Whether you are a Christian, a Mohammedan, or a Hindu, this characteristic will remain. 
Suppose today you are a Christian. Tomorrow you may become a Hindu, but your serving mood, that loving spirit, will stay with you. Therefore, the tendency to love and serve others is your dharma or your religion. This is the universal form of religion. So in many places, Prabhupada will say like that. And so, you know, okay, you, you have a path, stick to it and follow it strictly and devotionally. So some thoughts on this point. Hari Bo. Yes, Bo. So, um, what you were re just reading about reminds me of the verse, Dharmam to Sakshat Bhagavat Pranitam, that any religious, any bona fide religion has to come from, originally come from God. Um, and so, uh, Prabhupada was, of course, emphasizing that point because, um, Devotees accept the different religions that you just mentioned, or that are uh, Prabhupada accepts and generously in the Bhagavatam, Islam, Christianity, etc., as having uh, being based on religious principles that are coming ultimately from from God. We don't accept religion that is, uh, we say it's so-called religion if it's not coming if it's not coming directly from from God or it's made up by the mind. Um, the other thing is um, you were speaking before about I'm trying to remember the uh, oh the the, the uh, Prabhupada's reference to that we were all atheists uh, in my head that tied into the uh, preaching he does uh, like to the Christians and he says uh, if you're if you say you're Christian how come you are accepting you know killing and eating uh, meat um, so in that sense you know uh, if we're not following strictly as you said we're, we are atheistic, um, and I think that's at least to me that's what that that's how that uh, equates itself. Yeah, and and maybe it's maybe yes, or maybe just that uh, at least in our spreading of Christian consciousness in the West, maybe atheism wouldn't be the right word uh, to use. It might be more like. You know, if we accept the path, we should follow it strictly. And our understanding is that that would include thou shalt not kill. Right? It's certainly, it certainly makes you sit up and take notice, though. Atheism, whoa, I'm not an atheist. Right. <laughs> but I think uh, most serious Christians would take exception to us calling them atheists because they eat meat. Um, well, I go to church once on Sunday, and I, uh, you know, I attend midnight mass on uh, Christmas Eve. No, but some of them are much more devotional than we are. Much stricter, much more into studying the Bible than we study the Gita. So some of those kind of people would probably take exception. That's my, that's my point. Um, 
But we could, but we could, if they, if they read a purport like this, then I think we could explain to them what, what, uh, what we've been talking about now. That from our understanding, um, and, and our founder's understanding that, uh, one of the key, now you might not think this is very important because a lot of them don't, but from, but from our understanding, the, one of the keys to a, to a, a religious person is, uh, is not having violence on their dinner plate, and that that uh, that that desensitizes us, and ultimately desensitizes us to the subtleties of understanding God. And therefore, we you know we what our humble suggestion would be is why don't you try? Because you are obviously devotional. You you know look at your Bible. It's almost like you know you I can tell you've read it a hundred times. But what, how about if you added this to your life of, of being a vegetarian and see how your realizations of the Bible and your relationship with Jesus um, becomes more intimate? I was just reading the, uh, uh, Prabhupada's discussion with uh, the French Emmanuel. Yeah, yeah, Cardinal Daniel. He didn't have much regard for him. Yeah, he. They kept insisting, and the uh, ones uh, he interviewed and uh, discussed in Melbourne, Australia, also they kept insisting that the human soul, humans have souls, but animals don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he did, especially Colonel, uh, Cardinal Danielu, because Robert said I could smell the liquor on his breath. <laughs> so I wasn't very impressed with him. Uh, yeah. But this is, this is something for us to uh, keep in mind that we're fortunate enough that even just, you know, what speak of, you know, we also know pigeons are also vegetarians and all that. And so we also take prasadam, right? We offer our food to, to God. Um, but that is a, according to our understanding, according to Srila Prabhupada, it has a major impact on our consciousness. You are what you eat. So to speak. <laughs> Other thoughts? Um, well, you know, I, I like what you said about how um, the eating the meat desensitizes ourselves. Um, you know, descent, um, because, you know, when I'm trying to share Krishna consciousness with people and, um, you know, I mean, vegetarianism may sound fanatical to them or something, but then, you know, I might say, well, well how do you feel about your dog, you know? <laughs> now, what, what, how would you feel if you went somewhere and everybody was sitting down and there was a big roast dog in the middle of the table, you know? So maybe them so kind of understand it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, and even, you know, the sacrifice, you know, the different things Prabhupada would say, okay, there may be Vedic sacrifices that there was no slaughterhouses, you know, and if, uh, you know, yeah, everyone is, the, the, the violence is, um, is done all out of sight, out of mind, right? You know, you just have the, uh, you know, chicken McNuggets or whatever it is at a, at a, at a McDonald's, but you don't see the whole factory farming that's happening in rural West Virginia or rural Virginia or all these different parts of the country. And, you know, the, we've gone over this before. The numbers are flabbergasting. How many chickens are killed every year? How many cows? And, and, and all of that. And, and the cold global warming that comes out of that and the polluted water. We all know the, the different arguments. 
but it's just become such a symptom of Kali Yuga. The, uh, the, in, the whole industry around it. It wouldn't be as bad if everyone had to, you know, kill them, do the killing themselves. And I think there would be a lot more vegetarians in, in the world. But, you know, you just pick up something at a, at a Safeway, you know, and you don't see the, uh, the, the connection, right? Whereas the Shastra does make that connection that, you know, uh, those who deliver the food, right? There's that saying, right? Those who, those who kill the animals, those who transport it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Six different ones. Yeah, all are implicated. Uh, and then Mun mentions that the collective karma of war, uh, eating is war. Yeah, the collective karma of vegetarianism, yeah, of non-veg. So it's scary, isn't it, that uh, there's less vegetarians than, than atheists. <laughs> um, so, and the funny thing is you can have vegetarians who are atheists, <laughs> you know, but it's a very small percentage, less than 5%, 375 million uh, vegetarians in the world. And that's not even, you know, that's vegetarians and not vegans. I mean, that's, and vegans are included in that. That's not a lot. That's, that's where I did the calculation because, uh, you know, I, I, I looked up 7.6 billion people and I just, you know, typed in on Google, you know, what is uh, 375 million? What percentage of 7.6 billion is that? And it came out to, the number, you know, approximately figure so it's pretty scary isn't it it's pretty scary and Ananda Rupa uh, brings out that uh, chapter 17 of the Gita talks about divisions of faith based on activities under the modes yes okay shall we carry on uh, we are now going up to that was 15 23 The shameless husband of low-born sudra women live exactly like animals, and therefore they have no good behavior, cleanliness, or regulative life. After death, such persons are thrown into the hell called Puyoda, where they are put into an ocean filled with pus, stool, urine, mucus, saliva, and similar things. Sudras who could not improve themselves fall into that ocean and are forced to eat these those disgusting things. So Prabhupada really picks up on this word, improve themselves. And he writes, thus, even a born sudra, and we could say everyone is born sudra, kalo sudra sambhava, is expected to become a brahmana. That is the meaning of human life. Everyone should improve himself. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, chatur varnyam mayasristam bunakama bipagasa. According to the three modes of material nature, the work ascribed to them, the four divisions of human society were created by me. Even if one is by qualification a sudra, he must try to improve his position and become a brahmana. No one should try to check a person, no matter what his present position is, from coming to the position of a brahmana or a vaishnava. Actually, so even though he's talking about brahmins up till now, he says one must come to the platform of a vaishnava. Then he automatically becomes a brahmana. This can be done only if the Krishna conscious movement is spread for we are trying to elevate everyone to the platform of Vaishnava. As Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Sarva Dharman Sharanam. Abandon all our duties, all other duties, and simply surrender it to me. 
One must give up the occupational duties of a sudra, kshatriya, or vaisha and adopt the occupational duties of a vaishnava, which include the activities of a brahman. Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita, Mam hi karta via pasrita, tepi shu papayonaya, striya vaishastata sudra, tepi anti pramgati. Osana prita, those who take shelter of me, although they be of lower birth, women, vaishas, as well as sudras, can approach the supreme destination. Human life is specifically meant for going back home, back to Godhead. That facility should be given to everyone, whether one is be a sudra, a vaisha, a woman, or a bhakatriya. That is the purpose of the Krishna conscious movement. However, if one is satisfied to remain a sudra, he must suffer as described in this verse. So, um, and also this is talking a lot about qualities. So, we, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a sudra vaishnava, right? And one being a, you know, having, you know, one being an artist or a, uh, an entertainer, which are considered quote-unquote sudra activities, or a garbage man or a garbage person, uh, and, be, and one can be a first-class Vaishnava. In the Bhagavad Gita, Prabhupada writes, a sincere sweeper in the street is far better than the charlatan meditator, right? So we are trying to elevate everyone to bhakti regardless of their occupation. And, you know, we can't just have everyone studying Shastra all day and no one, you know, cleans up the world, right? So, so but the Sudra qualities um, are, uh, are usually very affected by the mode of ignorance. And so in that sense, we're trying to elevate everyone to being clean, being honest, being truthful, which are Brahminical qualities. And, of course, more above that are the Vaishnava qualities. So Prabhupada writes in the first canto that anyone, therefore, who becomes a Vaishnava, accepted by the first-class Vaishnava or Uttama Adhikari Vaishnava, is already considered a Brahman, regardless of his birth, due to his past deeds, regardless of his birth. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu accepted this principle and recognized Srila Haridas Thakur as the Acharya for the holy name, although he appeared in a Mohammedan family. So the birth is not the key element and we say it's the guna and um, karma in this sense means the, the work and the qualities of a person. So it seems that Prabhupada is focusing on the qualities here of, of a person, either a sudra being very affected by the mode of ignorance and the qualities of a Brahman is very affected by the mode of goodness. But, his, but I, I, I think that, you know, understanding Prabhupada's mood and mission, the, the point here is that uh, sudras who could not improve, so probably picked up on this word improvement, everyone can improve, he's saying, everyone. It's the janmakar, it's the, it's the right of every living entity to reestablish their relationship with God, to reestablish their relationship with Krishna, regardless of their birth, even regardless ultimately of their body, although human bodies are much easier too. But uh, everyone, and therefore everyone, should be given a chance to reestablish their love for God, reestablish their love for Krishna. So very uh, compassionate purport Prabhupada is writing here, picking up in the, everyone should, actually one must come to the platform of Vaishnava, that means a lover of Krishna, a lover of God. Then he automatically becomes a Brahmin in all these things. Some thoughts? So Prabhu, uh, in Bhagavad Gita, um, I, I mean, uh, Krishna is giving Arjun uh, all kind of knowledge to 
clear his dilemma and remind him to perform as per his swadharma. And towards the end, he clearly tells him that it's better to perform your duties in the social order you are in with your consciousness fixed on me. So, you know, eventually, you know, as we are reading this particular paragraph too, I'm thinking about that knowledge which is given there. So here, when we talk about shudras and qualification and that everybody, anybody can try to improve their position and come to the platform of Brahman, meaning purifying and transcending the modes of material nature. So well, Brahman's still in the mode of goodness. Brahman can be a total rascal. <laughs> but a Vaishnava... Yeah, coming, transcending from ignorance to goodness at least. Yeah, yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and then Krishna, they basically at the end says, okay, and then everything I told you, surrender, love me, uh, and it's all good. So this is kind of also juxtapositioning Varnashrama and Bhakti. And so we accept Varnashrama to the extent that it leads us to Bhakti. Yeah, thank you, Mataji. Other thoughts? Uh, Henry says, I am deeply grateful to be with all these wonderful devotees today in this call. Thank you. On behalf of all these wonderful devotees. Okay, well, I thought this was going to generate a whole discussion, but I guess not. Um, so I think the key message here is for us is to remember this, that whatever position a person is in, they have the um, potential of becoming a great soul, a soul very dear to the Supreme. Um, regardless of their birth, regardless even of their present um, not pious activities, uh, that uh, we should give them a chance to elevate themselves, as Prabhupada is in, informing us here. So, then we can go on to the last verse that we're going to study in this canto. Verse number 37. It's, toward, it's a kind of a, getting towards a summary now of the whole canto. And he said, My dear King Prikshid, in the presence and the province of Yamaraj, there are hundreds and thousands of hellish planets. The impious people I have mentioned, and also those I have not mentioned, must all enter these various planets according to the degree of their impiety. Those who are pious, however, enter other planetary systems, namely the planets of the demigods. Nevertheless, both the pious and impious are again brought to earth after the results of their pious and impious activities are exhausted. And Prabhupada writes at the last paragraph, One who knows the transcendental nature of my appearance and activities does not upon leaving this body take his birth again in the material world, but he attains my eternal abode of Arjuna. This is the perfection of life and the real solution to life's problems. So all the stuff we heard in this last chapter, all the problems with that, they're all, the solution is this. We should not be eager to go to the higher heavenly planets, nor should we act in such a way that we go to the hellish planets. The complete purpose of this material world will be fulfilled when we resume our spiritual identities and go back home, back to God. A very simple method for doing this is prescribed by the Supreme Personality of God. One should be neither pious nor impious. You like that sentence? One should be a devotee and surrender to the lotus feet of Krishna. 
This surrendering process is also very easy. Even a child can perform it. One must always simply think of Krishna by chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Once you become Krishna's devotee, worship him and offer obeisances to him, thus one should engage in all the activities of his life in the service of Lord Krishna. So it's almost like almost like um, Krishna does that, like we just said, at the end of the Gita says Sarva Dharma. So here Prabhupada's kind of like giving the purport of the whole canto. <laughs> to uh, surrender to Krishna. So some thoughts on this? There are some personalities that upon attaining the heavenly planets, they uh, 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 continue improving themselves or continue um, seeking out opportunities for devotional service as it were yeah yes it's not the general rule general rule is right that there's so much enjoyment in the heavenly planets that you get you get caught up in that and then after that runs out then you yeah but sure there's always going to be you know because Krishna is dealing with us individually there'll be uh, yeah thank you for that Other thank you. This is Jeev Tatudas. Yes, so, sir. when Lord Krishna says, Savadhamma Preti Jamamikam Sharanam Vaja, sometimes the tendency is that we accept Krishna but still continue to do the nonsense. That should not be the attitude, right? When we surrender to Krishna, which means, Anukulena Krishna Anushijanam, we should work favorably towards Krishna and his devotees. So, we should, you know, really take it to heart. That is the essence. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Remind me to do that. <laughs> right? So we when we take the shelter, surrender, the six limbs, they are also very important. You know, yes. Accepting everything favorable to devotional service, rejecting everything unfavorable. Really taking the shelter so that we believe that and we trust that Krishna would provide us protection in all situations. Yes. That's why real anxiety disturbs us, right? When we are in a situation, we don't know what to do. Instead of taking shelter, we, you know, try to think of our own capabilities and, you know, take yeah. shelter of different other things. It's at the time of difficulty we are truly tested. Yes. Very good. Yes. Other thoughts? Yeah, I did. Yes, Handy. I think I want to especially give thanks to uh, Suganda because... What she brought out is that you can reflect on your current condition, almost get like at least a murky idea of what you might have done in a past life. But then at the end of this verse, so that's a cause of misery, thinking about, well, how did I get this miserable? But then this verse points out that even your pious, you end up back on earth even after exhausting your pious things. Yeah. That's a cause for happiness to think about, well, maybe these good things that have come up in me are because of something good I did in a past life. So that's a very happy thought. So there's a lot of meditations you can do on that. On there's that. a lot of meditations. And, and therefore, and what we just read is, let's just get out of this mess. Because the happy things and the pious also binds us here. So even doing, being, a, yeah. Uh, so it's more like, you know, George Harrison said, hope to get out of this place by the Lord Sri Krishna's grace. Um, 
because it, because it is it can be very disappointing if you go to these these heavenly planets that we heard about they're so nice and then you come back to like Washington DC you know? it's like how did I get here oh my god can I say one other quick thing sure that link that I put in that's a short nine minute video by this Buddhist monk and if you want to see something really good if you ever find yourself angry like anger inside uh -huh. Try, I suggest everybody copy that link. Try playing that video and staying angry. No, I, don't think it's, I don't think that is possible. Oh, it's playing now. No, no, sorry, it's discriminate. Somebody clicked it. <laughs> but anyway, it's a Buddhist monk, and we're talking about the ideas that... I'll check it out. I'll check it out. So now yeah. I have two homeworks. I have to listen to that. I will challenge. Try to stay angry and watch that. Nine minutes. And I'll, work on, I'll work on it. I'll get really rile myself up. And try it. See. <laughs> so godliness is not an owned by a certain religion. It's, right. No? Yeah, it comes from God, not from the religion. So let me now um, read a little summary of this canto, okay, uh, written by Buri Prabhu, and then we'll end for the day. So it's, it's, it's very short. It's very short. In Srimad Bhagavatam, the fifth uh, chapter, fifth canto, fifth chapter, Rishabh Maharaj taught his sons that the point of human life is to willingly perform austerity in order to attain the true fruit of one's human birth, unlimited, unending spiritual pleasure by awakening one's relationship with the Supreme Personality of God. Human life is not meant for pursuing material hot pleasures, which are attained even in the bodies of hogs and dogs. Bharat Maharaj, Lord Vishabde's foremost son, heard both aspects of his father's teachings, what to do and what not to do, and taught them to King Rahugana. Sukadeva Goswami brought these points to a conclusion. So remember all that, right? He, he, he heard from his father, Vishabdev. He had his three births and his last birth. He taught what he had heard from his father to King Rahugana. Sukadev Goswami brought these points to a conclusion by illustrating through all his descriptions in this canto that there is no happiness in any situation on any planet. He has thus offered a top-to-bottom view of the universe, including its hells, where one may suffer the reactions of one's sinful activities. From Sukadev's descriptions of the universe, it is clear that death stalks every being on every material planet. No one, therefore, can be free from fear. A material life simply cannot give one perfect happiness. Therefore, rather than living with the expectation that life is about finding sense pleasure and that the universe is here to provide it for us, Sukadeva Goswami describes a more perfect and far more accurate vision. The universe is Krishna's energy, his virat rupa, and it's here only to facilitate our service to him. So that's the all these descriptions of the universe Bhajan was summarizing and saying. It's, it's, it's showing Krishna's universal form and that really is there to facilitate our service. Uh, and anyway, Srila Prabhupada shared the secret to developing this perception during a lecture in Los Angeles on Queen Kunti's prayers. Quote, if you love your child, if you see any garment, a small sh uh, shoes or any playthings, immediately you remember your child. Oh, this is my child's shoes. This is my child's playing things. This is his garment. So it is the custom of love. 
After Sukadeva Goswami describes uh, Jambadweep, chapter, if you remember that, chapter 16, he relayed the prayers of great persons like Lord Shiva, uh, Bhajashrava, Prahlad Maharaj, Lakshmi Devi, Manu, the goddess of the earth, Hanuman, Narada Muni, I don't know if you remember, we studied those in the 18th chapter, 17th, 18th, 19th, uh, all of whom worshipped the Lord in his deity form and glorified his attractive qualities, unlimited potencies, beautiful form and compassionate natures. Later, his description of the six inhabit, inhabited islands of Bhumandala, chapter 20, Sukadev showed that the most exalted demigods, the sun, the moon, fire, water, air, Brahma, etc., who are the predominating deities of the universe's life-sustaining elements, derive their potency from the self-effulgent Krishna. The Supreme Lord also lives outside the inhabited Bhumandala Islands atop Loka, uh, Loka Mountain, and from there imparts power for the maintenance of the universe. So then another, a little bit more. Uh, when Sukadev describes Sutala, one of the lower planets, he he revealed the brilliant gem of surrendered devotion, Bali Maharaj, and taught Maharaj Prikshit about the transcendental, independent, self-manifesting nature of bhakti. When he described Ananta Dev Sankarshan, he showed the potent, beautiful form of the benign nature of the transcendental autocrat. He also pointed to the merciful nature of Krishna's holy names, which are non-different from the Lord himself, even when chanted in a mundane universe with less than pure consciousness. <clears throat> So by seeing the universe, uh, oh no, I skipped one. Sukadeva Goswami also repeated the words of devotees living everywhere in the universe from Dhruva on the pole star to Bali Maharaj and Sutala, so from the top to the bottom. So by seeing the universe with detachment and understanding it as Krishna's Virat Rupa, by hearing of the Lord from his devotees and then following their prayerful example as they worship his deity form, sincere souls can see Krishna even in this dark material world. Developing the pure devoted consciousness that can fully reveal him is the goal of life. Yet the question remains, how can we become free of the hellish reactions we have accumulated over countless births? Although this question has already been answered indirectly, Sukadeva Goswami Maharaj Prikshit will combine as teacher and student to explore it more deeply in Canto 6. Hare Krishna. So congratulations, we have finished Canto 5. Amazing. Whew, what a trip. It's uh, quite a canto, isn't it? And we will start next week uh, with uh, Canto 6 and the Pathfinder of Ajimila. And in the meantime, I will wish you all a very, very happy Radhastami. Um, it's a wonderful, blissful festival. Only have to fast until noon. Is there any event at the temple? For that? Of course. Of course. It'll be outdoors. Um, what time? And everyone has to wear a mask and all that. But uh, yes. What's the time for that? I don't know about that. I didn't see. Yeah. Does anyone know? 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Yes. Let's just pray that it doesn't rain. Um. But yes, 6 p.m. So it'll be a very nice uh, thing. And I'm sure there's all there's unlimited uh, online festivities for Radhastami as well. So wonderful. We did it. Canto 5. <laughs> uh, yeah, amazing. Amazing. 
So uh, we do have a little, we both have homework for next week, and that is to uh, try to do more research about this question that Henry asked, right? Um, and, um, yeah, and about how to, in other words, do hellish punishments, so they really help us uh, if we can't remember our previous lives. So thank you, Prabhu's. Hare Krishna. Thank you very much.